This episode of the Lynx Golf Podcast is sponsored by our good friends at Tourism Ireland. Discover what fills your heart with Ireland and experience golf like never before. World-class courses, historic links, breathtaking scenery, and unmatched hospitality await. Visit ireland.com backslash golf and start planning your trip today. Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. This is digital editor Al Lunsford with Lynx, joined by Joe Passoff, and we're excited to be joined today uh, by a colleague of ours, actually. Uh, Jeff Shackelford is his name. Jeff, you're an author, blogger, podcaster, an architect. You've been on TV analyzing golf. Is there something you haven't done in golf yet that you'd like to do? (laughs) I haven't won a major, Al. So there's that. <laughs> or played in one. Well, you played college golf at Pepperdine, too. I forgot to mention I did. That, so. I did. But yeah, I got a ways to go for the the majors. And senior major doesn't look like it's going to happen either. That's okay. I, 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 don't, I don't need that stress in my life. I think you could be a walking scorer at a major. Too. You could add uh, I've been a standard bearer as a kid, but I've never, I've never done walking score. I don't know if I'd want that pressure. Uh, that's, that's <laughs> a, that's a tough job. I, uh, I get why people like to volunteer doing that, but there is some pressure with that. Uh, Jeff's new book is called golf architecture for normal people. Jeff, can you just kind of tell us what you're aiming to do with this, this new book of yours? Uh, yeah. And to be clear, I'm, I'm not, uh, normal. And I think Joe would agree. Uh, he's not, and Brad Klein and Ron Witten and some of those of us who've kind of devoted our lives to, to golf architecture, we're, 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 we see and look at different things and, um, and I don't want people to become uh, us. You don't need to be an expert. Um, and that was sort of the, uh, the driving force of the book that, that golf architecture should be a lot more fun to, uh, think about debate um, learn enough about to be able to enjoy a, a course more or be able to hold your own in an argument uh, as to why you don't like a course and um, so I tried to come at it from that angle that I love that there are experts in the world and I think that what we've seen over the last 20-30 years is is um, a lot of that that sort of criticism and analysis and debate has really elevated the art of golf architecture, but it sometimes leaves uh, the average golfer behind, you know, they might be turned off by some of it. And um, I don't want to, I don't want to discourage the deep analysis. You know, I use an analogy in the book about wine. I, I love that there are, there are wine geeks out there holding people to higher standards, but gosh, some of the conversation could be just, you know, it's, insufferable to listen to and i can imagine the same thing happen in golf and so that that was really what i wanted to uh to do with the book was in this time where more people are interested in architecture than at any point in my my short time on this planet um uh it's such an exciting change you know and i don't know how joe feels about that but i i feel like there's been a an amazing change in the last 20 years and in the interest in the topic. And so that was another part of it was, well, so many people are interested. Let's make sure we, we keep them interested and, and give people some different ways to look at a a golf course besides kind of the way the, the ranking system does currently. Well, Jeff, uh, you know, you're no novice at this beat. How many books have you written 
Uh, this is number 10 on golf. And I did one other one on a, on a racehorse named uh, Zenyatta that was more of a, a photo book. So yeah, this is, this is number 10. Some of those have a lot of contributors. So Joe, so, so when I say write a book, I mean, there's, you know, masters of the links has a, a lot of, a lot of contributors and very little of me. Well, that may be, but I mean, you are one of the most experienced, versatile, knowledgeable writers uh, on this topic. Okay. So how then did you decide, you know, you've got all this expertise and you've shared it with us for years and years. Let's just take it back to, hey, this is the architecture that you really need to know and have fun with. Yeah, I think I've seen enough uh, debates about certain topics. And I, I think I just kind of kept filing away that, you know, that's a little excessive or, you know, there's a lot of discussion of routings and, uh, I don't, I don't know what Doak was thinking with the routing or what were Ben and Bill trying to do here. And well, you know, I started to realize that, that, um, there are some things you, in this weird little art form of golf architecture, you can't, uh, figure out and that some of it ended up starting to sound like just kind of uh, talk to sound to sound cool. And there wasn't much substance to it. So there were some things like that that I, I registered uh, as, you know, well, maybe that needs to be addressed. And that just kind of, uh, again, just sort of what's going on in the game right now, the, the, the amount of interest in wanting to try a different approach that would make it uh a more fun thing to be a connoisseur of of course design because the people if you look in the game they're uh generally you talk to anybody in the game almost always they have some sort of interest there yeah it could be anything it could be baseball cards it could be wine cars cigars they have some deep passion for and then you'd say well you travel all over the world aren't you interested a little bit more in what went into the thinking of why this course is different or when you go on a trip, wouldn't you like to be able to uh, pin down a little bit more the difference between the courses at abandoned dunes instead of just saying, yeah, oh, this one's better than the other one. Um, and I always thought that was a little weird, you know, like all the money that's spent to travel and see the world and be a connoisseur. And so I thought, well, wait, maybe part of the fault is that of, of, uh, the way we've approached it with uh, writing and rankings. And so let's try to make it a little more fun. And, um, and I also use it as a chance Joe, to go back and think uh, because let's face it, there's a little, there's some, there's some excess in our world. And you know, what on earth was it that made those people back in Scotland uh, love playing this kind of rudimentary park in Edinburgh. And, and then that became, the place where it started and then somehow all the, all the other sports that inspired golf died, but why did this one survive? And I, I just thought that would be an interesting thing to try to go back and read about and think about and apply to course design today. Well, you know, you, uh, you hit on something that touches on both the simplicity of really looking at a golf course. And then it also encompasses the feeling that you get as you evaluate the architecture. And I think you uh, used three letters to designate, and that was R, E, and D in your book. I don't know if you just call them R, E, and D or red, but... <laughs> like R-E-M? Yeah. No, uh, no. Like, like I go R -E with red. Just R, R, E, D or red. Um, tell our listeners what 
red is in terms of how you look at and evaluate a golf course? Yeah, well, what happened was over time, um, I started, you know, early on, and I get into this in the book, I was always told, and you've probably got some of this too, Joe, that uh, that that the memorability of a course was kind of a shallow uh notion and and my guy george thomas who we'll talk about in a bit uh uh he he had a great quote about memorability and the importance of it and and i was uh and i get why people thought that's sort of a shallow way to look at a course because some you think well anybody can make a course uh with 18 memorable holes um but it turns out it you can you know mike strands and pete die went pretty far in their designs on every hole, but it ends up being a little bit of a blur other than, you know, like TPC Sawgrass, obviously the, the 17th very memorable, but when you kind of go over the top, it gets kind of, um, it gets kind of fuzzy. And so I, as time has gone on and as you get a little older uh, and you, you start to forget things, I just, I just really kept coming back to the importance of, of, when you're driving out that that uh, that gate that gate or the the entrance drive or or the the front driveway of the local muni, if you can't remember all the holes right after you've played it, there's a problem. And um, anyway, so that was one of the main things. That's remember. And then um, you know we always have the discussion. I think people have sort of uh, subconsciously always embraced the idea of asking of a golf course, could you play it every day and enjoy it. Um, there's also sort of the bucket list question of if you had to pick one course to play the rest of your life, you know, Jack Nicholas, I think was one of the first people to, to use that uh, parameter, if you will. And, 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 uh, but it's one that happens a lot. And uh, so there's two, you know, and I get into it, there's two different um, questions there. There's that one, that bucket list one. And there's also just a simple question of, you know, I could play that place every day. I'd never get tired of it. And I, uh, I realized all the different things that spoke to in course design. And so I explained that in the book. Um, and that's really the basis of these, of the R, E, and D is, is to help you answer one big question, but it also kind of speaks to different parts of uh, course design if you want to go a little deeper. Uh, and then the last one, the D for, for, for dog yeah. is. Uh, that's my favorite. Yeah. And that one kind of came later and it came after. Um, uh, I'll be honest. I, I, and I, I, I think I named it in the book uh, or maybe I didn't, but uh, well, I'll name it here. But uh, after the, after the U S open at Aaron Hills, uh, I was going back to Chicago to fly out and I stopped at shore acres. I hadn't been there in a few years and I just wanted to meet that a new superintendent and any of his, had a great dog just just having a blast out on the golf course and and after you know aaron hills is so big and so massive and i was so tired i mean it's two and almost two and a half miles from the clubhouse to the 16th tee and i was looking at the scale of that and then watching this dog out at shore acres which was just one of my favorite golf courses on the planet just and a lot of it it has to do with the scale of it the the feeling of it um not the exclusivity or that it's on the lake or it's Seth Rayner and all that. It just, it's just got that walk in the park, uh, uh, joyful feeling about it that you just would love to take your dog for a walk out there, even if you didn't play golf on it. And so that third part of the dog thing kind of, uh, started to develop there that I realized there are some places 
you would you would love to just go for a walk with a dog if you have a dog and uh there and and we see that in scotland all the time because they have actual laws uh allowing access for it and uh so that was and then that of course spoke to scale and you know there's just an intangible um sensibility to certain courses where they just feel good when you walk on them you just feel like it's natural ground and then there's some where you just feel like you're climbing and it's you're walking across cart paths and the walk in the park is not not as nice as some other places and uh so that's kind of where that that came from to speak to things like scale and um some of those little intangibles that we 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 love about a place but we just don't quite know uh why or just sort of the quiet beauty of it um and things like that um and then of course there are just places that are now welcoming dogs and that's that's fantastic too but that's not really the question i was trying to get at with <laughs> on the topic of course design joe what a perfect setup for your column in the summer issue coming out joe oh do tell about- golf's best walks in the park ah. joe i don't want to spoil your your top pick but but jeff if you had a pick for the best walk in the park in golf what would you say well shore acres is certainly right up there uh and obviously a, a place that's on my list always is is north barrack where where there's just a lot of people crossing the course with dogs all the time although you can't play there with a dog i heard they were voting on it though this year it's it's uh interesting but yeah, anything near a body of water where a dog would just be be happy. And I get into the book. It was really fun for me to kind of research dogs and what it is that they love to sniff and why they kind of love to meander. And and I couldn't believe some of the things I learned about uh, about them that way. So um, uh, that was really fun for me to, to to read up on and then try to think about and apply to golf courses. Joe, you want to reveal your answer? <laughs> I'm getting a kick out of the research that Jeff did on dogs and dog behavior uh, <laughs> as it applies to course architecture. I know. I know. So, um, yeah, it's, I mean, the issue's out in a week or two. Uh, I, I picked Sunningdale Old mm. as my my favorite walk in the park. And I had uh, Morfontaine oh, on that one. list, uh, the Valley Club of Montecito. Yeah. And uh, sorry, whoever, uh, uh, I'm... I've grandfather, got the, uh, right? A grandfather, yes, in North Carolina, mm. a mountain course that's actually pretty walkable and just a lovely place to take a stroll. I give all those an A plus for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, you had uh, you'd said something that reminded me of uh, what we'll get to at the end of the episode when we talk about um, our segment on my courses, a rapid fire thing we do, and about your favorite courses that come to mind given a certain topic uh one i didn't have on that list but we've asked before um and it might be because george pepper is a big fan of jack nicholas and you mentioned he talked about the course you could play for the rest of your life if you could only play one um i'm going to add that one to your to the end uh so i'll put you on the spot there but also the other side of that question which i didn't prep you with either so Perfect. Here okay. you go. Um, <laughs> if you only had one course left to play, so basically the final round of your life. Um, so stew on that. We're going to come back to yep. that later on. But 
Again, uh, Jeff's book is called Golf Architecture for Normal People. You can get it on Amazon, uh, bookshop.org. To me, it kind of sounds like, you know, somewhere between a golf ar- architecture 101 and maybe like the 201 level class. So you kind of know a baseline and this gives you a little bit more to work with is before we move on from the book, is there, you talk about giving readers tools to have a more sophisticated understanding of, of the game and what they love or hate about a given course. Is there something you could simplify without giving too much away of your book? Um, a tool, a quick tip you could give to the listeners about what you may be able to do on your next round. One thing I didn't actually get into in the book um, is that I mean I, t- I danced around it a little. You know, a lot of people, as you guys know, will judge a course on what they shot and uh, or how difficult it is. Now that's changed. Again, the fun word is more important now. You know, when we first did Rustic Canyon here in Southern California, it's now twenty years old. You know, the operative word back then was it's it's fun, kind of like in quotes. And it was it was sort of an insult, you know, like oh, I can't host tournaments. And now it's like, oh, it's fun. It's such a fun course. And and that to me is has nothing to do with the course. It's more of the change in mentality. But I would ask people, I mean, I, I lay out my three questions to ask of a course, but I would also say, other than thinking about a course when you're leaving it, trying to remember all the holes, I would also say uh, the people probably should should let it stew a little. I, I think people make a quick judgment, and and I believe golf architecture is like anything else, like a good film or uh, uh, any other really interesting work of art that makes you you think a little bit. That you should you should reserve judgment, let it sit a little bit, and ponder it a little bit, compare it a little bit to some other courses. Uh, I didn't want to get too luxury in the book, but that is one thing I think sometimes people just can't wait. I mean, they're walking off the 18th green at Piners. Well, is this better than four? Uh, or, or it's better than eight, but is like, why don't you have a drink? <laughs> Relax, sit on the patio or go take a nap in your lovely room at the Carolina and, and, you know, let it, let just let it breathe a little, think about it. I think people are dying to, to uh, figure out where a place ranks or where 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 it uh, should be on their personal list, like all right, just just the longer you let it sit and think about, it, I think the more uh, you'll be, you'll have a good feeling of what a place was like architecturally, and you'll get a little bit separated from how you how you played. Sure. Well, Jeff, we have enjoyed you uh, being on with us as a contributor so far. With links, you started uh, with a column in our winter issue. Uh, about this whole idea, kind of what we're, we've been talking about so far, that golf architecture is having a moment and yeah. uh, people care all of a sudden. People want to know who designed the course and want to check certain courses on the list they may have never played or had any idea of just because it was by X architect. Yeah. Um, you go on, you went on to write in your spring column about the changes at the 13th pole at Augusta, very timely column there. I uh, hope people got a lot out of that while they were watching the Masters uh, and helped them analyze what they were, were seeing from the competitors there. Uh, your next column uh, is, you know, it's funny that you compared a golf course to a good film you've watched because your next column is kind of about the uh, similarities between architects and Hollywood directors. Could you give us... Uh, or give the listeners a little bit of background on 
uh, why those two are very similar. Well, yeah, obviously we're coming to Hollywood with the U.S. Open, and I just thought it'd be fun there. But I've always felt like the job of the golf architect, and I, I don't know how Joe feels, but I've always felt like it's somewhere somewhat like a movie director or a music producer um, in that they you you bring together all these creative people uh, but you kind of have to have a vision and at some point you have to, to to shape it but you also need to let these people um in the various stages kind of help build and and fuel this project and then golf architecture of course is on such a big scale uh, but in a lot of ways a, a big movie is too there's so many moving parts and i've you know, living here in Los Angeles, I've grown up around uh, the film industry, so I have enough of an understanding of how all that works. And there's so many fun parallels, you know, uh, you know, an actor ad libs a line and they go, oh, wow, that, you know, that was great. Or an actor ad libs a line and then the director has to definitely say, OK, that's that was fantastic. Now, can we just do one that's as it is in the script? And and a golf architect kind of has to do the same thing with a shaper. Uh, oh, that's 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 wonderful. But that's really not what I had in mind. So tear that up and build what I put on the plan and we'll discuss it. Um, so there are all these these elements, both both, the, you know, the business side, you've got to think about the audience, um, uh, all, all the kind of the same things that that tug and pull at a film director uh, are the same things that a golf architect de deals with. So I just thought it was a fun chance to uh, to do all that. That said, I, I think almost the parallels are they're almost closer to that. That great music producer that even though they're not the person who writes a song and performs it, they're the one who has to step back and make it better and flesh out the the uh the artist's deepest thoughts and, and talents and uh and so i don't know if people always realize that about golf course design that that there's so many moving parts and ways it can go different directions uh from from that original plan the equivalent of the the movie script and uh so that was that was the idea i could have gone all day with with analogies, uh, George asked if because I didn't include Pete Dye in there, uh, who 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 his equivalent is. And George asked if it was Fellini, and I said, "Oh, definitely would have been my pick." Uh, Fellini uh, is kind of the, just again what he did to change the course of film and make people think different ways. And uh, I was watching a Steven Spielberg movie last night, who I I equated to Donald Ross uh in this and i was i was feeling good about that an analogy it's called bridge of spies and it's really uh just a beautiful incredible film that he did in the last few years and i was thinking yeah you know because because ross had the same group of people essentially but he somehow even though it was the same group of people and he and he used plans but he somehow always every course was just a little bit different just different enough and sophisticated and and beautiful and lovely to play and timeless. And, you know, Spielberg has the same group of people on every film. I mean, just a couple little variations here and there. And yet somehow every one of his films looks different and feels different. And, uh, and the attention to detail is fantastic. So anyway, that's, that's, <laughs> that's the long winded version. You probably don't even need to read the column now. <laughs> Now there's plenty of other comparisons too that are that are spot on. So transitioning that, you've written a book about George Thomas. 
uh, the captain. Uh, you know a lot about him, and he obviously is going to be the subject of a lot of attention coming up with the U.S. Open uh, at L.A. Country Club North, um, which you also had a hand in the restoration on. Um, could you tell us a little bit about who George Thomas was, his style, and and maybe even why he's the Alfred Hitchcock of golf course architecture? Yeah, well, I, I used uh, Hitchcock just because uh, there were a couple of interesting, I thought, tie-ins to uh, their places in, in film and golf architecture history. I think Hitchcock probably is more uh, famous and recognized in, in his world, and George Thomas is kind of getting there. But part of it was just the, the output. Uh, George Thomas was born into a wealthy family, and he... Um, was very fortunate to uh, not have to work too hard in life, but uh, we're, we're very fortunate in that he uh, clearly was a man who felt he had a, a duty to give back in a lot of different ways from everything from uh, uh, the game of golf to uh, his church when he moved to, to Beverly Hills to uh, various clubs to um, making uh the world collectively more introspective about the things that he was passionate about, which he then published books on from roses to deep sea fishing and to his classic book on golf course design. And uh, so after the war, he crashed three times. He, he was pretty banged up. Uh, he volunteered and he was over in Europe for over a year and <clears throat> funded his units uh, uniforms and, um, his, his father was very well off and he, 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 like I said, he gave back and he, when he came back, um, uh, he was part of that Philadelphia scene with, with, uh, George Crump and he was a founding member of Pine Valley and, and, uh, William Flynn and Tillinghast and Hugh Wilson were all, uh, friends and, and, uh, counterparts and inspirations. He, he wanted to move West or somewhere where he could, uh, do his rose hybridizing and live in better weather. It was really that simple. Uh, he made it pretty clear and he picked Beverly Hills, which is a pretty perfect climate for roses and for recuperating and uh, living the good life and built a uh, beautiful home. And when he when he got here, he was enlisted to carry out uh, the ideas of uh, Herbert Fowler in 1921, who who'd, who'd made a pit stop done some plans, done some uh, models, apparently uh, clay models. And uh, I don't know how much uh, George adhered to them. He and Ed Tufts, who was the club co-founder, I think uh, did a lot of ad-libbing. And, uh, but within a few years, Thomas had joined forces uh, with Billy Bell. And I equated that in the column to, to Hitchcock and the cinematographer that was a big part of his career and how he went to another level with that guy. And the same thing happened with Thomas and Bell. They built some great courses and just on a totally different level than what LA was at. And the club saw those and realized, uh, and they heard a lot of player complaints in the first LA open. Some things never change. And, um, but they were right to do it. If you look at the photos, it was pretty rudimentary and, kind of a mess and clunky and um and so he redid the course in 27 28 and uh thankfully we have aerial photos <clears throat> not a lot of great ground photos but enough and um and that ended up fast forward uh 80 years 
uh, and uh, that was the course that that um, that uh, with Gil Hans we suggested to the club that would be the the ideal one to 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 restore that that was at its high point that was at Thomas and Bell's high point in their creative careers and uh, it was his home club and um and they agreed with us uh, and and so that was what we used as the the inspiration for the restoration this episode of the Lynx Golf podcast is sponsored by our good friends at Tourism Ireland discover what fills your heart with Ireland and experience golf like never before World-class courses, historic links, breathtaking scenery, and unmatched hospitality await. Visit Ireland.com backslash golf and start planning your trip today. Joe, I know you uh, covered this pretty well in our summer issue as well with Jeff uh, contributing on that. The two of you probably could have a good, give a good indication of Going into this U.S. Open, what are what are going to be the key holes, the key things, characteristics to look out for? Joe, maybe I'll start with you uh, in your your research and experience at L.A. North. Uh, what are the defining characteristics of this course? Well, you used to be able to walk behind the 13th hole when you were done playing with it and go over to the Playboy Mansion where Hugh Hefner held court. And there were a variety of attractions and enticements during that era. Um, apparently that's long gone and now folks can really appreciate the architecture of the individual holes much more to which I will defer to Jeff in terms of some of his favorites. <laughs> yeah, it was always amazing how that was, that was quite an obsession. I, I never could see through the fence and, uh, uh, believe me, I tried, you could go down the hill. He had this great little, um, wildlife center, uh, little monkeys and all sorts of, of, uh, uh, bizarre birds and and they were quite entertaining but um yeah the house is being completely reconstructed uh, by the new owner and and renovated um and so yes uh it, it is fascinating how um that was that was such a, a top topic about la north and maybe it spoke to how it had it had it had um changed over the years and it was very hard and so it was always signaled out as a as a U.S. Open worthy course, but um, it was kind of a mess. There were a lot of trees and uh, a lot of rough, and and so you'll see uh, this is going to be a very wide U.S. Open, uh, a lot more short grass, and uh, we just think it it's a more beautiful looking course and property. And George Thomas built very wide fairways because. Uh, back then they didn't irrigate like they did now. And so the ball ran a lot and, uh, and, it, and there's some fairways that are 80 yards wide that play about 20 yards wide, things like that. Um, but I think people are going to see, I mean, I guess and uh, every hole to me is just really fascinating. Uh, but I think the thing to probably watch for are the par threes. Um, they were the biggest uh, change in the restoration in terms of all the new little dimensions we we were able to kind of wring out of them from the old photos and green enlargement and better bunkers and all that and um i think it's the best set of part threes in the world there's five of them and uh some people will will cringe at that you know there's pine valley and cypress have great sets of part threes and uh harbor town are always mentioned but i just think in terms of sheer variety if they're set up right uh, these par threes will just be uh, well. Well, I think they'll blow the players away too. Because again, if they set it up the way I hope they do, 
there'll be very different yardages each day and different shots into each one and different kind of thrills and spills and all that. And, um, and so I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, they've got some pretty long yardages there that might turn some people off. I don't think they'll use those all four rounds. So, you know, that, that set of part threes is what I would really, uh, uh, look at that said, by the way, the little 17th hole we put back, which was a leftover from the first version of the course, I think, um, I mean, we were, we were, uh, we laughed, but we were also a little hurt when the course reopened. That's all anybody wanted to talk about. Kind of like the playboy mansion. We're like, you know, there's some really cool stuff out here. And that, that hole was put back as a little bit of a tribute and you'll see it probably in the open. They're going to put the pin on the green in the practice rounds and let the guys hit a shot to it. But it was a, um, a very controversial hole back in the day. And I, I think it really hurt captain Thomas to have to take it out, but, um, because I think he, he kind of ad libbed it from the Fowler course and it was a solution to a routing problem. And it, and he, he kind of messed up a setup in a, in a tournament there. <laughs> They didn't have a weather forecast like we do now. And uh, uh, so it'll be fun to see if, how much people pay attention to that hole because I think the USGA, it's a, it's a nice little touch. They're going to put the pin on it during practice. But it will not be played as part of the, the championship. Um, you know, Jeff, we'll, we'll touch on a few more specifics, and I'm looking forward to that. But as a general proposition, for Listeners uh, who miss the 2017 Walker Cup that was at L.A. North, you know, you're George Thomas's other masterwork in terms of a tournament golf course is Riviera. How do you compare L.A. North to one we see every year on television, Riviera? Yeah, well, I just had a Q&A I put in my my newsletter with uh, Max Homa, and, and I had asked him that question. He just basically said, it's just really no similarities. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, most of it, as you know, Joe, it starts with the grass, you know, the Kikuya, unfortunately, hurts Riviera in a lot of ways, because there's some of the most beautiful approach shots where you'd love to land the ball just short, because they're pretty small greens, even when they've been enlarged, and uh, the ball just stops this time of year, it'll be very interesting to see how they deal with that for future uh, you know, the Olympics and the Women's Open and, uh, and the US Open they're going to get, but uh, so they really are so different, you know, LA for years, always fought to keep the Kikuya out. And we're, we're very grateful for that. Cause, cause even if they, um, I mean, it's just, it's an amazing grass. You, it's there once it's in, it's not going anywhere. It keeps coming up. And so that's the number one huge difference you're going to see between the two courses. Uh, uh, there's going to be a chance to land the ball short of some greens. And when they get to us open firmness, the guys will need to do that in some holes. Um, and then obviously LA is just a much more, uh, roller coaster like property, just a lot more going on very few. Uh, and you covered this beautifully in your, your story, but just so, so few flat stances and, uh, Riviera is more subtle that way. There are very few flat stances there, but these are, you could get some really wild, uh, stances in the fairways and, and, um, it is almost Augusta like in, in the case of a few holes. Um, and then obviously, since we've done the work, it's a much more rugged golf course. Riviera has really gotten cleaned up and the Barranca is even pretty, pretty clean. And, and LA is a very, uh, you know, much more natural, rugged, 
uh, course, especially on those holes on the front nine and, and uh, the 17th hole playing along the, the Barranca. So I think visually they're just, they're very different. And then of course, it's just right in the center of the city. It's like golf in central park. It's crazy. And that juxtaposition of the two things, the really rugged, uh, natural, <clears throat> some of the, the native areas and the, and the old oaks and the old sycamores. And then you look up and there are these high rises. It's just, uh, it's just, it's just, there's just nothing quite like a Riviera surrounded by, uh, um, beautiful homes that are sitting up on a hill, uh, and it's in a Canyon. So it's a very, it's a very different, uh, sensibility that way as well. So you, you mentioned that things had, uh, you know, maybe not as rugged at Riviera. I mean, definitely not as rugged. They've cleaned it up over the years. When you and Gil Hans, Jim Wagner, the the folks that uh, that settled in on this, would you call it a renovation, a restoration, or a hybrid of the two for L.A. North? Um, you brought back a lot of that ruggedness. Uh, re-emphasize the Barranca coming into play more, uh, regaining those Billy Bell touches on the bunkers. What were you tasked with doing? What did you tell the club, this is the best version that you can be, and and how close did you come to hitting that? Yeah, I guess I would call it a restoration still. Uh, some people, uh, because we we're a little more creative with the bunkering and I'll explain that, but I, 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 you know, I think it's something that, that, that still speaks to restoration, but we, we really, the only places we deviated Joe from the 1927, 28 design were at the eighth hole, which is a very reachable par five. And we just felt like Thomas didn't have the green very well protected. And then, you know, the game has changed so much and he tended to leave his par five greens, not too too heavily bunkered um or or difficult because i think he built pretty long courses in his day and his par fives were pretty long in, in the at the end of the hickory era so the eighth we 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 toughened up um and then the usga has has agreed with our view which was to kind of let it be this sort of tributary of the barranca by the green um he just kind of had a grass swell and ours is a little more severe penalty, but as far as the guys hit the ball, I don't think it's a big deal. And then we moved, we moved two fairway bunkers. We moved one on number two twice <laughs> uh, because of the changes, but everything else in terms of green shape, but everything else is, is off the old aerials. The difference is, you know, what we said is this is a great old club and we think this is a, a fantastic design to be restored. However, one of the things you see is a lot of these restorations, of course, looks brand new when it reopens. And we said, so we want these bunkers to look old and, and we want to use some of the evolution. And so the, uh, the look of the bunkers was to take the concept of what Thomas and Bell did in 1927, but make them look old and have thicker lips and a little more buildup like they were, that was 80 years worth of uh, change. And, uh, but keep the, the fingered look, um, but 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 do enjoy the idea that we want them to look old and and kind of uh, kind of nasty and stick out a little bit more and and that was really I guess where you could call it a hybrid. But there were several holes where we mimicked the lines of the the old bunkers. We just we just um, we just made them I think uh, look look more evolved. 
first time U.S. Open venue. Uh, a lot of different options. Sounds like with the width of the course that people are going to be faced with different angles to to greens, and it's not going to be a place where a bomber is going to hit it as far as they can and just chop it out of thick rough. That's not really in play here. So what kind of player do you think is going to do well at the U.S. Open? Well, Al, I don't know. I, I uh, When I think they're not going to bomb it and just uh, chop it out, they, they do that. So I, I, I reserve the right to say they might still do that. I think there's a couple holes where that could happen. But, um, you know, we've had a very cold winter and spring, and so it's a Bermuda grass rough. Uh, the bunker grass is a tall fescue. Um, but the the main rough is Bermuda, and it's not exactly uh, been great growing weather. So we'll see uh, how tough it is. Um, but overall, I I think it's going to be one where uh, the guys who get to know the course a little bit will get more comfortable with some of those awkward because there's a lot of slightly obstructed views and and uh, it's pretty wide and and not too tree lined in in a sense and the guys almost kind of like that i think uh to guide them and i uh, they're going to have to do a little homework uh going into it and uh, so i think the player who does that and then they and then i i think a, a, there are about four or five key shots where you need to hit a draw and not many of the guys hit a draw anymore um rory does and i think it's fantastic for him there's just like I said, about four tee shots that I, I would say, mm, uh, he's going to love this tee shot. Whereas most of the guys hit a cut now off the tee and, and you can play that out there all day. I think that's the cool thing is that, is that, um, you can work it any way you want off pretty much every tee shot. Uh, but there are a couple, there are holes where a distinct shape to the shot will really help you. And, uh, so I'm excited about that part because I feel like it it will not it will not single out a, a certain style of play. And as you said, I don't see it being just a a bomb and gouge fest. Um, that somebody who's a little more precise, a Matthew Fitzpatrick, is going to be just as competitive there as Rory uh, or Brooks Kepka, who's playing so great right now. Um, and I think that's exciting, uh, and I love that that that. I feel like there's, you know, Max and my Q and a with him said, it's all right in front of you. I, maybe, maybe it is. Uh, but I think there's some, I think there's going to be some local knowledge that's rewarded out there. And I love that. Well, it may have been right in front of him back in 2013 yes. when he <laughs> posted that 61, the fearless <laughs> collegian. Um, Jeff as an architecture scholar, as opposed to say a golf fan, what one hole are you really looking forward to seeing how these guys figure it out and then attack it or or deal with it? Well, you touched on it in your your story in links, um, and it was the star of the the Walker Cup, which we kind of knew it would be. Um, but that's the fifteenth hole, and um, you know they they actually had thought about in the Walker Cup playing the little seventeenth hole. <coughs> <clears throat> excuse me sorry um they had talked about playing the little 17th hole and then everybody realized wait a second the 15th is going to be so cool because it can play 50 yards 60 yards um uh, different from one day to the other it could play about 80 yards to the front pin and they did do that on saturday afternoon of the of the walker cup and it was just spectacular i mean it 
Um, you know, the, the only guy who bogeyed it was Stuart Hagestad, who who knew the course the best, <laughs> which was funny. Uh, Will Zalatoris made the craziest little up and down you've ever seen. A couple of guys hit it a foot, had a tap in. I mean, it was just – and it was that way in the Pac-12s too. Um, I remember Casey Martin was actually coaching. He was actually out on the green waving to his guys, here's the line. You want to hit it here to spin it down to this pin. And so, you know, it's just there's a great back right pin. There's a bump in the middle of the green that that I think was a bunker for about two months uh, initially. And uh, it's just a great little hole after you've just played two really long. I mean, it's almost 1,200 yards of yardage between the 13th and the 14th holes. And then the last four hole or last three holes are so long. So, and then it's this little shot in, in kind of sandwiched in between. So I'll be uh, definitely spending a lot of time watching that. And that's just a great intersection. I don't know what the fan access is going to be like, cause it's, it's a tough intersection, but uh, because of all the new back tees, but uh, the 11th tee, the 16th tee and the 15th green or uh, it's, and, and the 10th green is right there too. It's, it's um it's going to be a great spot to be. I should say uh, in the the last day uh, for more in-depth and, and detail, really intense analysis on the this year's U.S. Open venue, Jeff, you and Gil uh, helped with a video that the Fried Egg just put out on the architecture of L.A. Country Club. It's very good, 20-minute long video. So um, go check that out on YouTube. Um, you alluded to... Obviously, your work here, um, your work at Rustic Canyon. You also worked with Gil at the Prairie Club in Nebraska uh, on their horse course, 10-hole short course, uh, where you kind of make your own way out there. Uh, no set tee markers or anything. A little bit different for those who have had the chance to visit out there. How has your design philosophy, your personal way you approach golf course design developed as you've gone from just a student of the industry to actually participating in it? Well, it's just, uh, it kind of still revolves around a lot of what George Thomas did so well, uh, with Billy Bell, which was, was to make something look exciting and captivating the first time you play it, but to, to have enough subtlety there, um, that, uh, it's fun to play on a daily basis. And, um, I guess as I get older, I, I get, uh, I look at courses more and more and I just, I, I just want to see and know what's fun. I think, uh, a lot of the architects just, just work way too hard still to, uh, I'm not gonna say protect par, but, but, but make sure a course is, is hard enough to host a tournament or something like that. And, and I'm, I'm a little exhausted at, par 72 and 7,200 yards. And, and, um, I just keep wanting to go back to those places that, that are not hooked on numbers and that are just, you want to play every day and, and never get bored with. And, and so the links courses, uh, tend to, to charm me more that way. And, and, uh, realizing you can't make every hole, uh, a masterpiece, but you also better not neglect holes and make sure there's something of note on each hole some some feature one you know a bump something that 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 depending on where the pin is it changes the whole day to day enough and um and so yeah i'd love i'd love to see a few more 
people wanting to build places that aren't, um, well, even 18 holes, you know, I just would love to see more 12 hole, uh, just more stuff. That's, um, what, what's best suited for the land instead of trying to, to kind of hit, hit all the check marks, 18 holes, 70, something 70 or above. Um, because I do think the the public perceptions change. Yeah, I remember an executive course not that long ago was, or a par three course, was seen as so uh, not golf, you know, like some lesser thing. And and look where we are now. I mean, I think the par three craze, if you will, is is the greatest thing going on. I wish it. I mean, I wrote about it for years. It's so exciting to see now because we know that's the scale and the size where you want to start the game. It's also the <laughs> the place where you probably want to finish your final years playing on something of that scale. Oh, and by the way, if you're a good player, they're really great for your short game to be playing a part three. So having Pebble Beach and Pinehurst kind of validate, even though, as you noted, our Prairie Club course was well ahead of that um, and, and a little bit different than those. But um, I just love what's going on with part threes and, and, and what that has done is make people realize that golf is not just 18 holes on a Saturday with a handicap and all, you know, there's different ways to play the game. You can be somebody who just loves to practice. Um, and, and if you play your regular golf on an executive or a part three course, you're a golfer, you're, you're family. You're not, you're not playing some lesser game. And we're starting to get over those things finally, thankfully. And it's so much better. And I think it's why the sport's uh, thriving and that it embraced top golf. Uh, just all those little things like that have been, have been fantastic. For sure. Yeah. Big reason why um, the alternate golf participation, I think they've, they've said in, in studies in the past year that surpassed even, you know, regular going out and booking the tee time, playing 18 holes. Right. Um, there's more people doing top golf and the like than, than playing normal golf. So different, you know, avenues to get there, but, uh, it's all golf one way or another. That's yeah. Uh, Joe, before we get into, uh, the rapid fire section with Jeff and anything else you, you had for him? You no, know, uh, I had a general question that actually relates to all of this. And uh, Jeff mentioned it in the first segment about his book, Golf Architecture for Normal People, um, The Fun Factor, uh, which is where uh, I typically disagreed with Golf Digest for many, many years um, about the appeal to a golf course. And Jeff, um, you know, I'm curious as to what you pinpoint the change, the Delta factor was, we had Robert Trent Jones at the height of his powers in the 1950s after some really good stuff in the 40s. Maybe the 1B or number two was Dick Wilson. Um, they didn't believe in short par threes, uh, propped up the greens. All of them were tough tests, well fortified as you got into the green. Then we hit an era where Pete Dye was all the rage. And then soon thereafter with Jack Nicholas, Tom Fazio, um, I mean, they were popular. Developers asked for these courses. They factored the highest in course rankings. It was a perception that these were the best golf courses. How, why, when did it become 
knowledge, um, a realization that Gil Hans, that Coor Crenshaw, uh, Tom Doak or David Kidd uh, started doing something different in golf design and fun came into the equation. That is my one general question that I wanted to throw at you because, Jeff, you've seen it all. Yeah, well, I'd love to hear if you have a theory. I don't think there's any one particular course or moment. Uh, I think Pete gets deserves credit in sort of shaking things up and training a, a, a new group of people to think a little more outside the box. So I think it starts oddly with him, even though his courses are so hard. Um, you know, and because I have pondered this, like what what is changing it? I do think that I'm not patting uh, myself on the back or, or complimenting you or Brad Klein, uh, but but we, you know, there there's the writing around the sport changed a little bit to highlight more of these people doing some things that were different. Um, there, you know, there's all sorts of little factors like that. I think there were some moments in tournament golf, championship golf that were so bad and so dreary that it, it, it kind of quietly started to erode at this idea that uh, the game is better when it's hard and it puts you in your place and par is protected and, all that. But as you say, I mean, the thing, as I did the book, that was my number one takeaway after kind of contemplating uh, a lot of different things is that, is that the, the, the golf digest ranking and the resistance to scoring category is the single worst thing that, that happened to the game. in in our lifetimes, it started, you know, with William Davis's era, that's how the ranking started the toughest courses. And, uh, I argued when I worked there all the time that it was terrible and needed to go and, uh, was, uh, told to bug off and, and they finally have dropped that category. I mean, I've always <laughs> equated resistance to scoring as, you know, how hard was it to get a movie ticket in, in evaluating a film? You know, like it has nothing to do with yeah, how uncomfortable the movie, uh, seating experience was to, to, to get through or well, you know, it's just, it's just a, it's a, it just has nothing to do with your enjoyment of a course that it, it, it somehow is resistant to scoring. Um, and, you know, I would also throw in the part three element. Um, and I, there's just a lot of different factors that have come together to, to, to make people realize that fun is why we do this. I, I think there's a younger generation that uh, was not aware of, those hangups or what developers did to uh, wanted to achieve and understandably, you know, to get financing, uh, a banker's going to go 6,200 and par 69. That's, uh, I can't, I can't finance that. I, I mean, I get all that that went on. Um, but I think there's a younger generation that, uh, is blissfully unaware of all that stuff that happened and, and common sense would say, well, of course we, play the game for fun and we want you know we want to the architect needs and i still think we have a ways to go but the architect needs to let the golfer win uh more often that's that's okay and and i think that's what the the restoration movement and the love of the old architects is realizing is that yeah these guys built some tough courses and when we restore all the uh square footage of a green we're putting back basically like all sunday final round hole locations which shuts up the guys who want to keep it tough 
Um, but it also makes you realize, well, you know, a bigger green, more people hit and, uh, they end up having more fun. And so it's just, um, and those guys let people win. Uh, they, they built contours that you could feed a ball in and hit it two feet and have a, a short birdie putt. Um, and I think we need to keep highlighting that, 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 uh, a well-designed course, uh, makes you work and keeps you on your toes, but it also it also lets you pull off a great shot now and then. So I don't think I answered that very well because I really, but I ha I can't pinpoint it. Um, I mean, is there anything in that combination of factors that you would you would uh, disagree with or that you would add to? No, I liked your answer a lot. I don't know that you can pinpoint one golf course that changed everything, but I think you hit on it that this last gen most recent generation. Uh, isn't as hung up on 7,200 yards, par 72, you know, two threes, two fives, each nine. Like, no, they just want to go out and enjoy themselves. And, you know, if a golf course has to test you in different ways, I mean, you know, hey, at least get you thinking from time to time. And again, give the uh, lesser golfer a chance on holes, whereas a really good player can you know, play it his way or her way. So um, maybe that's the better way to looking at it. We were so hung up on orthodoxy for so long. Mm -hmm. Pete Dye broke out of that mold, but not the orthodoxy of difficulty as the standard bearer. And, um, you know, finally, I think we're achieving the right mix in this new breed of golf courses. One other thing too, I'd throw in is I, I, I mean, the short par four love fest is, um, it's really a product of that we don't, you know, reachable par fives kind of got um, to where they're reachable for everybody and the drama was lost. So par fours kind of took up the slack. And I think those have also are just one more factor that people now expect at least one good one on a course, because what you just said, which is that, yeah, the, they test a good player in an interesting way, but if he's sloppy and, and, and you're not as good, but you, you play it smart, you could kind of keep up with them. And I think all the, all the short par fours, both watching tournament golf, but then actually playing too, have um, have have again just highlighted that that element of fun. That, that that's so much more fun, uh, especially in those moments when when the the bomber looks like an idiot and the the the, the smart plotter uses the angles or whatever and and beats them. Um, that's just one more thing that's added a a a, a, a great element to the sport. Well, Jeff, uh, grab a little drink of water here because I think Al is ready to launch his rapid fire at you. Well, and if you guys aren't going to pat yourselves on the back for helping change the narrative on this stuff, I know you've been at it a lot longer than I have, uh, then I I will pat you guys on the back. So, uh, Well, thank you, Al. <laughs> there, there's, your, there's your roses. You can have those. All right. Let's get into it. So... Um, However, however much you want to elaborate is great, um, but simple answer of, of the course that comes to mind here is perfect, too. So, Jeff, your favorite golf course? Yeah, it's really become North Berwick, and, and it's just funny in my lifetime uh, how it's changed to our conversation earlier is, um, <clears throat> well, I was just seen as goofy and quirky. And, and, it, and now it's just beloved and it checks off, got all the things I hit in the book. You can remember all the holes. You could play it every day and never get tired of it. And, and you, 
you definitely like to walk your dog on it and people do um uh it, it it's just it's just fun it's just so fun and every hole is so different and some of them are really unusual and ironically probably one of the weakest holes on the course is the redan which is probably the most important hole in golf um although it's really fun too so north barrack for sure it's uh it's just it's just so much fun i'll go ahead and ask you if you had one round left to play what course would that be on it because it may be the same answer because it's your favorite but is there a uh, no I, the the sentiment sentimental uh guy here would would still go with the old course the same answer that that jones and tiger woods and nicholas give um you know if you match played the two courses I think North Barrick would probably win for me, but it'd be close. Uh, and I love the, old, yeah, I just love the old course, but it's just a round of golf there and be able to come up those last few, the back nine, the last few holes is just, there's nothing like it. And uh, so that would, that would definitely be the one. Got it. First course you ever played. Yeah. I, it's a toss up. I have two memories of tagging along. You know, I was like a lot of people. I wanted to drive the cart. Uh, unbelievably and i think i have the photo in my book that was back when there were the one wheel in the front cart which really probably makes me look very very old uh with the weird steering wheel joe you remember these i'm sure that, that <laughs> it was more like a bar i don't have any uh, idea what you're talking about yeah man. you wouldn't know you wouldn't know but they well, you might see some photos of like gerald ford or dwight eisenhower driving one of them um when they when they had a cart but um <laughs> They were big in they were big in the sixties and seventies, and I was born in seventy one. So I remember DeBell in Burbank, where my my grandfather played, and tagging along with uh, him, and then also with my but but I think the earliest was my my dad and uh, my granddad at Valencia, which is a Robert Trent Jones course that hosted one LA Open and some Champions Tour events, and and uh, in fact, in that photo, me hitting a shot uh, with that that. Uh, outdated cart in the background it's just open fields behind it. and of course that's now completely developed um so it's kind of wild to see how it's changed but those are my first memories of and, and i think that's how a lot of people played the game which is always when i when why i cringe when i hear these places that have these and i understand why they do it but when they have these brutal spectator policies and it's like well but that's how a lot of us got started we tagged along um you know, wives tagged along with their husband or or kids tagged along with their parents. And uh, it's a weird sport. It's a hard sport. It's a, an intimidating sport. We have to remember, and I think we're better at it, but we have to remember that the best way to get into golf is kind of accidental. You know, um, you know, I, I, I just always think of this uh, young woman, uh, Aditya Shock, who's playing so well on the LPGA Tour right now. Nobody in the family played golf. Um, and she's from India and they were having lunch and they saw this driving range and she was just drawn to it. She just, she just had to try this. And now she's, she's one of the best women golfers in the world. And, uh, we just have to remember it's, it's a weird sport and you get into it in weird ways. And, but the number one way is being able to tag along. Yeah. I love the uh, Aditya shock shout out trailblazer on the LPGA. <laughs> Uh, course for you that produced the sweetest memory. Oh boy. The sweetest memory. Uh, well, I mean, I made a double Eagle on the first hole at Riviera. Unfortunately, the three people I played with, 
barely remember it. Thankfully, I have a plaque that I get to look at every day in my office that gives me a smile. Um, because as great as a hole-in-one is, and I don't really have one except on a par three course, uh, which was a very sweet memory as well at Pismo State Beach uh, with a nine iron. And I was, uh, I think it was 15. I was 14. I was barely playing golf. Um, but the, the double eagle, it just always makes me happy. Uh, of course, I hit a two iron and, and now the guys hit a two iron off the tee at Riviera and uh, and probably about a seven iron into the green. So things have changed a little on that front. <laughs> Uh, how about a course that's not in the top 100 in the rankings that should be, in your opinion? Mm. Well, I was I had I had penciled in Eastward Ho, and then I remember it's finally made a bunch of of uh, I know it's on golf weeks. I I don't know if it's made Golf Magazine's top 100. It'll never make Golf Digest, but I know it's in the 200 for them. But uh, I just think that's one of the great underrated amazing places still to this day at least in the united states and it's gotten more recognition and keith foster did some touch-up work and it's uh 6200 yards i believe maybe maybe he got it to 63 but it's just spectacular and 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 to our conversation earlier it's one of those places that uh you go uh, this is where rankings are just stupid because again, it checks off everything. You can remember all the holes. It's thrilling. Uh, you could play it every day and have a blast, but it makes you, makes you hit shots. Um, and you just love to go for a walk out there without your clubs. It's so beautiful. Um, so I'm thrilled to see again, there's another example of a place that was ignored because of those yardages and numbers and now it's people are really like oh my gosh this is a this is brilliant and uh so that would be my choice very good a few more here the hardest course that you've ever played <laughs> uh well that would be uh industry hills here in southern california i i um uh, I played, I walked with my clubs 36 holes in the U.S. Amateur qualifying in August. I, I have no idea why I did that, but we didn't have a choice. Uh, easily the hardest thing I've ever played, the Zaharias and the Ike. Both of them are just just brutal, uh, and um, they've tried to soften them a little bit over the years. I have not been back, and except uh, for banquets there at the, at the hotel. We have the Southern Cal Golf Hall of Fame uh, banquet there this year, but... Um, I did not go for a sentimental walk around the courses to try to relive my, oh, I feel like it was, I feel like it was 79, 76 or something. Uh, and uh, I didn't make it, obviously. Joe, you liked that answer. What's that? I saw you chuckle at his answer. <clears throat> well, it was a surprise answer to me. And then as it sunk in, not a surprise <laughs> um, I, I first, I first played those industry Hills courses in 1982. Oh, right. When they were new. Yeah. And, um, I mean, there were back tees. The sixth hole on the Ike course was like a 500 yard par four in 1979. Yeah. And yeah. the shrubbery was so close <laughs> to the bat. You could hit it in the, in your backswing, uh, on that back tee, but, um, it was just, frighteningly hard i mean carnoustie 1999 bethpage black 2002 yeah. hard and they have softened them over the years from my understanding but um uh man uh those were legendary in southern california for yeah. their difficulty 
Jeff, the number one course on your bucket list that you haven't played? Well, Joe mentioned it earlier in the pod. Um, and it's my biggest uh, failing in my my education as a uh, as a student of architecture, which is I have not spent uh, uh, much time in the uh, the Heathland region of of England, and so Sunningdale Old um, is a place I have not been to. Um, I have a lovely a member with a standing invite, and I need to get there. I almost did it this year with the Open, but I, um, I'd hope to get to Wimbledon and. It didn't work out, but but uh, the combination of the architecture and uh, their embrace of dogs and just the beauty of it, um, that whole area. I just uh, I've been to Royal Ascot, the 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 racetrack, um, uh, but I have not been to uh, Swinley Forest, Sunningdale Old, and a, and a couple others, uh, St George's Hill that it, I need to get to uh, very soon because they are uh, spectacular looking. Yeah, and uh, Al, if I'll jump in, it's uh, it's not just the architecture, which was very important and still stand up beautifully today. Uh, the friendliness to dogs at those <laughs> courses in and around London. Sunningdale famously uh, has a halfway house, solid sausages um, after the 10th on the old. And uh, one member's dog had its own account. They would just leave the plate of sausages out for the dog. And okay, you know, and, and he had his own account. And and Jeff, I was fortunate to play Walton Heath once with mm. a dear friend of Lynx Magazine, Nick Edmond. Ah. And, um, and a friend of his who took us out there uh, had his spaniel with him, Twinkles, <laughs> and uh, popped into the heather off the first tee, emerged with a mouthful of five golf balls, and Twinkle's got a pat on the head. <laughs> well done. And I just thought, yeah, golf uh, is different over here, and it is so much fun. And, uh, you know, congrats on your new book, on your career, you know, in recognizing and bringing out the fun factor that accompanies golf and golf course design. Well, thanks, Joe. I appreciate that. And, uh, yeah. That they, uh, it's funny. The Brits love the dogs more than the Scots, uh, but but Scotland's moving in a little more of a direction of embracing them more. But uh, yeah, at the UK, at the the courses around London, you see all these photos of the dogs off the leash, and like you said, they're trained to find balls. And uh, Scotland, eh, they're a little bit, uh, they're they're a little more uptight still. But we'll 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 get there, I think. <laughs> And last one we were going to add on, if you could only play one course for the rest of your life, what would that be? Well, it's kind of a predictable answer because it's one of most people give uh, who've had the chance to go there once and been lucky enough. But Cypress Point, I think, uh, would be the one. As much as I love the Lynx, I, uh, Cypress Point and, and that area, the beauty of it. I did a book on McKenzie's original design and uh, it just again, it checks off all the all all the all the boxes, and every time I've been there, it's been so much fun, and uh, it's pretty pretty close to perfect. Eighteenth hole's a little weird, but yeah, uh, it's pretty close to perfect. Jeff, we appreciate your time today. Uh, thanks for joining us. Do you have an idea what's going to be in your your fall column yet? You want to tease that? Uh, uh, well, I believe we're going to kind of think about the Ryder cup and, and, uh, uh, George mentioned uh, something about an ideal Ryder cup course because they seem to not go to the most ideal places. So, um, 
And I'm going to make a case that the course does matter. A lot of people, and I was probably in the school, and and I don't know what Joe thinks, but I I was of the mindset that it didn't matter where they played the Ryder Cup. Uh, the drama would would come out, and then you think, well, wait a second though. But when we do go to a Ryder Cup and they play an interesting hole, it's usually about one on uh, the uh, the courses they use in Europe, at least. It's fantastic, you know that that hole, the architecture is that that third uh part of the story that that adds to the excitement it's like no they need to go to better golf courses instead of the highest bidder so i'm gonna make my case i mean there's no doubt the old course would be phenomenal in a Ryder cup and it's heartbreaking in our lifetimes we probably won't get to see it but uh it's perfectly designed for a Ryder cup contrary to what uh some people think so um i'm probably gonna do something about that and uh the uh the 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 fun relationship between match play and architecture. Joe, I think you guys are in the same headspace. I think that was your pick for the best match play course in the world, right? <laughs> well, well, yes, it was. It's uh, almost a scary thought to think Jeff and I are in the same headspace. But um, <laughs> yeah, Jeff, I couldn't agree more with you uh, that that is ideal, and. You know, it's funny because the relationship between architecture and match play uh, is so special. Yeah. And even with your buddy Gil building a match play golf course at Ohupi that's now being, you know, the concepts being mimicked elsewhere. But um, I, he gave one of my favorite honest answers I've ever heard in all these years of covering golf. Uh, Gil, of course, uh, did the latest restoration work at Quaker Ridge, wonderful golf course, and uh, right across the street from Wingfoot. And they asked him at the press conference for the Curtis Cup, what kind of course this will be for the ladies for, you know, as match play. And he said, I don't really think it's a very good match play golf course. And I cracked up. Because, I mean, oh, my God. First of all, nobody's ever that honest. Yeah. And Gil's, Gil's so <laughs> diplomatic. And then, of course, he explained himself. But, yeah, meaning that golf course, just like Oak Hill, uh, the East course there, just seems more tailor-made to finding the fairway, to, you know, to, to those rare occasions where you can take a chance. Quaker Ridge was just full of those kinds of difficult par fours as opposed to some quirk and some whimsy and some risk reward stuff going on. So, you know, um, yeah, I, I mean, di difficulty uh, for any kind of tournament test certainly is one of the elements, but all those options, all those choices where you get the guys thinking. And when there's a little wind blowing at St. Andrews, it just doesn't get any better for, uh, for match play. So. And there are legendary stories of all the, the past uh, Walker cups and, and events that have been played there. And uh, so we'll get to see it on display this year. I hope I don't, I'm, I'm a, it's a little murky on the television side, but the Walker cup is going to be there and I'm going to be there and I can't wait. Uh, I don't care who's playing. It's going to be some young teams <laughs> for the U S and UK, but uh, as Joe just beautifully uh, painted the picture, a little wind, half par holes, all the crazy stuff. Uh, it, it Again, it doesn't matter who's playing. They're good players and it'll be uh, wildly entertaining to watch. All right, Jeff. Well, we appreciate your time again. Look forward to catching up again soon. All right. Thank you guys. Appreciate the time. Thank you.